Amen. All right, friends, we are um, going to begin a new series this morning. Um, but for those of you who have been around for a while, uh, like a couple of years, uh, it's going to be very familiar to you. Because here's why. It's, it's actually an old series that we're kind of reworking and redoing. And, and here's why we're doing this. Um, at, the, at the end of 2019, we, we, were we were gearing up to launch kind of a multi-year initiative here at Flourishing Grace. All right, our, our mission, our vision is to lead people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. And we kind of came up with this kind of whole, whole thing about like how we're going to do that um, for like the next decade here at Flourishing Grace. And we were all excited about it. It was like going to be amazing. And we, we, we preached a whole series in the fall of 2019 on, on this. And we went into Advent, Christmas. And it was like the, the whole plan was to kind of roll this out and practice in 2020. Uh, that, was the, that was the plan. We were going to put this into practice in 2020. And then 2020 actually happened. And we realized, oh my goodness, this is not going to work. Um, and and we just, it was kind of this, it was a tough decision to make, but just to say, okay, we don't know what the future holds. We're not gathering. All these things are coming at us so fast. Let's, let's put this on pause. And, and, when, and Lord, Lord willing, we'll pick it up someday in the future. And so we're going to pick it up t- today. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna relaunch this today. And we're going to put it in practice as we go into the summer here together uh, at Flourishing Grace. We are launching uh, what we call uh, the Path of Flourishing. The Path of Flourishing. And so we'll talk more about it. But here's, here's kind of the, 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 the basic piece of this, right? We live right, right now in, in our culture, in our time, in this day, right now in, in, in the Western world, um, and even more specifically, Davis County, Utah, right? We live in a culture of just complete and total um, excess. We have so much. It's unreal what we have. Like, it's unreal. Like, we live in a time like no other time in, in all of human history. We, we have access to to so many, like anything you want, you can have just about, right? We have access to seemingly infinite um, entertainment, right? There are so many platforms. I don't even, I can't, I can't even keep up with all of the platforms that are constantly cranking out, cranking out TV shows and movies that we can binge and watch whenever we want. Like at any 24 hours a day, you can watch uh, whatever show you want to watch, right? You, you have Netflix and Hulu um, and, and Apple TV and Amazon Prime and uh, Paramount. And, and you have regular cable, right? Remember, remember like regular old cable? There's like a line that like goes in your house and there's like a thousand channels there that you can watch. It's like HBO Max and on and on and on. Like you, have so, you have access to so much entertainment, so much. You have really access to anything you want, Right? Amazon now is providing next day shipping on like most of their items. Like next day, like if I want something, I can have it tomorrow and I never have to like put clothes on. Like I don't even put on pants. I can have it tomorrow. It's incredible. It's like the best thing ever. It's like the worst thing ever, but it's the best thing ever all at the same time. Like it is, it is, it is, it is incredible, right? Whatever you want. Things, things that like don't that are not carried in, like, normal stores, right? Like, there's, like, random things. You're like, man, how am I going to find this? Amazon's got it. Like, they've got, like, they're cra- like anything you want, they've got it. It's crazy what you can access through Amazon in, like, two days or less. Two days or less. It's amazing. Um, my sister-in-law recently moved to uh, South Korea uh, with her husband, and, and we've been, uh, you know, it's not that long ago. It's not that long ago, if a family member moved to South Korea, that would be like a major thing. But now it's like, I, we call her regularly, and I can see her face. 
Like, I can see her, her emotions. I can see her sorrow. I can see her joy. I can see laughter. I, I, can, I can see her face. I can see my brother-in-law's face. We can, we can interact, and they can, they can see their, their nephews, and they can play games together. Uh, on the other side of the world, they're, like, playing games and seeing each other's faces. It's, it's insane. Like, what we have access to is incredible. I have a group of friends from my early days in ministries with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ at Penn State University. And we get together every single summer. And we can keep in constant contact via text. And, and, and we get on Zoom and we plan our trips. And it's, like, it's nuts what we have. Wealth. Friends, we are, we are the wealthiest people in the world. The poorest person in this room is richer than most of the world. We have so much. So much. And yet... When I talk to you, when I talk to people in this room, friends, and friends around the country who also have all these things, they're so tired, they're so weary, kind of worn out by life. When I talk to you, when I talk to you about how it's really going, not, not like, how you doing? I'm good. Not, you know, how are you really doing, right? For so many of us in this room and even those watching online and friends around the country, right? There's this, this like little anxiousness all the time, right? I just, I just don't feel like I can get it all done. I don't, I don't really know if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna have, get my stuff done that I need to get done today and then I gotta do this with the kids and I don't really know if I can manage it all. There's like this anxiety constantly going on in our lives. There's a sense of disconnectedness, right? I, my friends, I used to have these deep relationships, and now I just don't really know anyone, right? I, I'm just not connected the way I used to be with my family. I'm not connected the way I used to be with my friendships. There's a disconnectedness. There's a, um, even, even just like a low-grade depression, just kind of a sorrow, kind of a moodiness about us. It's like, how do we have so much, and yet, are constantly tired and disconnected or feeling of in inadequacy, right? I feel inadequate as a mom. I feel inadequate as a husband. I feel inadequate as a boss. I feel inadequate as an employee. I just, inadequacy. Why, why do we feel so inadequate? Like I can pull up a YouTube video and I can watch it and I can learn how to take my furnace apart, fix it, and put it back together. Like I've done that and yet I feel inadequate. Why, why do I feel so inadequate? I have so much I have access to so much. Why do I feel so inadequate? Is any, anybody know what I'm saying? Anybody feeling this a little bit? Here's what I want to do, if you would with me, if you'd humor me for a moment. If you'd pull out your phone, uh, if you've been around, you know what we're about to do. Um, this is not a trick or a scam. This is a, this is a sweet way for us to interact together. Like everybody in the room, I'm going to ask you some questions, and everybody can answer the questions together. This is totally anonymous, um, and so... Uh, I'm not going to know who answered which question, but we're just going to collect some data this morning. So if you pull out your phone and open your browser, and you go to menti.com, M-E-N-T-I.com, and you're going to enter the code, it's gonna, and it's going to start asking you questions, but wait to answer the questions. Just give me, give me a minute. So you go to menti.com, M-E-N-T-I.com, and you enter in the code 67657695. Sixty-seven, sixty-five, seventy-six, ninety-five. Bingo. Um, you enter in that code, and it's going to ask you the question. Is it working for us? Yes? Okay, I'm getting a lot of yeses. All right, take your time. You can take your time getting there. The first question is this. Before you answer it, uh, which some of you already are doing, cheaters, 
How would you best describe your relationship with Jesus right now? Remember, this is anonymous. And so, honestly, let me, let me walk you through this real quick. So number one, or, or first is, is the first one there is, is non-existent. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. If I'm just being honest, like, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I, I'm here. I'm curious. I'm, I'm exploring faith. But I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Number two is struggling, right? My life feels spiritually dry and void of his presence, but I do believe in him and I want to grow. I have, I have a genuine hunger to grow. I do believe in Jesus, but if I'm honest with you, like my, my life is just spiritually, like there's not much there. Like I'm just, I'm just dry and I'm, I just, I don't know where, what to do next. I don't really know where to go in this. And then decent, right? Decent. I, I feel like I'm constantly growing, like I'm constantly growing, but I, it could be better. And then last is flourishing. Flourishing is, is I'm experiencing his presence in, in life nearly all day. All day. All day. I am, I am walking and living in the presence of Jesus. All day. He is filling me constantly. I can't get enough of him. That's my relationship. So go ahead and answer that question now. All right, we'll move on to the next question. The next question is, how would you describe your relationship with Jesus in three words, right? Three words. So you might use the same words, right? Uh, decent, flourishing, uh, struggling, but what other words would you use, right? What other words would you use to describe your relationship with Jesus right now in this season of your life currently? How, how's it going? How's it going Good. Well, you guys can keep answering that one if you're still going. And then we'll move on to the next one as well. How would you describe the state of your soul right now? Like, how are you doing personally? Okay. If you, if you said, I mean, here's how I'm doing, right? Uh, there's some examples there. Joyful, tired, full, empty. Maybe you're, uh, what, how, what words would you use? Man, I'm, 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 I'm just, every, everything is great. I'm happy. Maybe I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I'm peaceful, I'm, I'm exhausted, right? What, what words would you use, what three words would you use to describe the state of your soul right now? How you doing? Go ahead and answer that. Is that working? Okay, I think my thing froze up on me. Oh, there it goes. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Sweet. All right. Here's what I want to do with the, kind of the rest of our time. Uh, I want to kind of set up this whole idea of the path of flourishing um, by really talking about what Jesus came to offer us. 
what Jesus came to offer you, and what Jesus came to offer me. In a minute, we'll, we'll look at the results of that um, and kind of the, the answers that you guys gave. But what did Jesus come to offer you? And what did he come to offer me, right? We just, we just walked through um, Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter, and we talked about this idea of risen to new life. Jesus was risen to new life, but I believe that he comes to offer us new life. In fact, we see this on repeat throughout the Gospel of John. Again and again and again and again and again, Jesus is offering life. He's offering life to kind of everyone around him. The religious elites and the lowest of the low, he is offering life to them. John begins the Gospel um, in John 1, 4. He says, right, in him was life, right? In him, John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's how John begins the whole thing. In Jesus is the source of life, and this life is the light of men. It is the thing that shines into our life and kind of illuminates everything around us so that we might no longer live kind of anxiously wondering and worrying about what might be next, but we see it all. We walk with Jesus knowing that he is the light of life. He is the source of life. He's the source of life. Jesus comes to offer us life. John 4, 10. This is the woman at the well, right? So remember, this is a, this is a Samaritan woman who has been married five times. She is, she's outcast from her family. She's outcast from, from uh, the people uh, of, her, of her village, right? She, she, she is the lowest of the low. Right? And Jesus, being a Jew, asked her for a drink of water, which is, which is, which is absolutely disgraceful. Right? Hashuma. Like, you don't, you don't do that. You, you do not, you don't, you don't, Jesus should not even be speaking to this woman. The moment she walks in, he should have walked out. But he says, hey, give me a drink. And she, her response is, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And Jesus answered, and he says this. He says, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. L living water. So often we think that this idea of Jesus offering life is like out there in the distance in the future, Jesus is going to give us eternal life. No, no, no. Jesus says to the woman in the well, right now I can give you living water. There's a thirst in your soul that I can supply refreshment for. I can supply refreshment for the thirst of your soul. In that question, right, how would you describe the state of your soul right now? The number one answer in both of our gatherings. So I got 72 responses between our 9.15 gathering and our, and our 11 o'clock gathering. The number one answer by far is tired. Tired. Some said hopeful, which is good, joyful. But the next is empty. Empty, lost, weary, sad, seeking, hungry, exhausted, struggling, stressed, busy. My soul is busy, yes. I'm not sure who I am, said someone. It, 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 Jesus says, I've got, I've got water for that. I know, I know your soul is thirsty, but I have water that. Someone else said hungry, right? My soul's hungry. Look at the next one, John uh, 6, 33. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
The bread of God is he. It's a person, right? It's not actual bread. This is, a, this is a metaphor, right? The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus goes on two verses later in verse 35. He says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. It's me. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I am the fullness of your soul. It's in me. I'm it. I'm the fullness of your soul. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now listen, he... Is again, Jesus is not talking about out there in the distance when you die and you go to heaven, then you have a life. That's true, but that's not what he's talking about. It's not what he's talking about. He says, I'm the light of the world. Now, I'm not, not the light of heaven. He is the light of heaven, right? There's not, no need for a sun, right? Because the glory of the Lord will be, will be our light, right? He, but but that's, that's true. But he's talking about, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, right? The darkness of the world. He's talking about right now. Right now he is the light of the world. Right now we will have the light of life in him. Famously, John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What, what is the thief? So this thief being Satan, what is he stealing? What is he killing and what is he destroying? Okay. Souls. Yeah. Life. Life. He wants to steal your life. Yet, yes, eternal life. Yes, your soul. Yet, yes, he wants to steal that. But he also wants to steal right now. He wants to steal your life. He wants you to be so busy, so tired, so weary, constantly trying to fulfill, fill that void with the things of the world, knowing that you never will. Knowing that you never will. There's a strategy to that. To steal, to kill, and destroy your life. But I have come. They may have life and have it abundantly. Everything in this world, he wants, Satan wants to make you feel inadequate. He wants to make you feel disconnected. Jesus wants to give you life and give it to you abundantly. He wants, to, he wants you to flourish. He wants your life to be full and abounding in love and delight and goodness. The main thrust of the gospel is not, it is not believe and behave and one day go to heaven. Okay, that, that is not it. So many of us grew up growing to church, and, I, and genuinely, like in, in the West right now, in our culture, like that is it. Like if, if you said, okay, what is, what is this Christian life all about? Man, believe, believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he rose from the dead, he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, right? Believe that. Behave. Be a decent human being, at least when other people are watching. Be a decent human being, and someday go to heaven, right? That's Christianity. No, it's not. But that's what, that's what we've been sold. And that's what we've bought. It's not, it's not, but it's not at all. That's not what Jesus offers us. That's not what Jesus offers. It's not what he asked from us either. Jesus offers us to come and experience the life that he has on offer right now. Right now. Jesus has life on offer for you. You weary, you tired, you anxious, you disconnected. Jesus has life on offer for you right now. Something must change. Something's got to change.
This is what the path of flourishing is really all about. This is why we say here at Flourishing Grace that we're passionate about leading people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. That, that is our goal. That's what we're constantly talking about. Like, I don't, I don't want to just lead people to Jesus. I want to lead people to, to the life that he has on offer for them. I want them to experience the fullness of Christ, right? I don't want people just to, to believe and behave and one day go to heaven. I want them to experience the life that he has on offer now, right now. What does Jesus want to do in your life right now? question we must ask is why do so many of us not experience the flourishing that Jesus offers us? Why is it that so many of us are not experiencing the life of Je- that Jesus has on offer for us? Um, not too long ago, Gallup did a poll, and they polled Americans, um, and they asked them the question, a simple question, are you a Christian, right? Are you a Christian? 76% of Americans said, yes, yes, I am. 76%, that's a, that's a big number. That's a massive number. 76% of Americans said, yes, I am. I am a Christian, 76%. But when they asked them a series of questions, kind of determining, are you actually doing the things that Christians do? Right? And, the, and the bar was low on these questions. It was like, do you go to church more than once a month? Do you pray regularly? Or do you read your Bible regularly? It was, it was not, are you, are you fasting? Are you practicing silence and solitude? Right? Are you reading through commentaries? Right? This, is not, this is not what they were asking. It was like, do you attend church more than once a month? Right? What they found was the number, the number of people who are actually doing the things that Jesus has called us to do on the most basic level it's about 8%. 8%. 76% of Americans would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. About 8% would say, I'm actually following Jesus. Now, this, our, this room this morning in our 915 here at 11, I mean, this is, this is the gathering of the saints, okay? And that, that stat should be different for us. But let's, let's look and see here. Let me go back to... It this morning. So we had 75 people uh, answer the question, how would you best describe your relationship with Jesus right now? How would you best describe that, right? And I gave you four options. Um, the overwhelming majority, so 50 out of 75, 50 out of 75 said decent, decent. Now what that is, I put that in there as the cop-out answer, right? Because I knew you needed one. Uh, in my house, there's a word that's outlawed. My, my wife says, you can't use this word. That word is fine. How you doing? Fine. Nope. That doesn't count. Like, that is not a word that is allowed to be used. Like, fine. Fine is so lame. Don't use fine. All right? Decent's the same thing. How you doing? I'm decent. Okay, really? All right? 50% of us said, well, I'm decent. That's right. That just means you don't want to talk about it. All right. I get it. 16 out of 75 said, I'm struggling. I appreciate that vulnerability. Uh, one said non-existent, don't have a relationship with Jesus. And then eight out of 75 said flourishing, about 8%. There's no, there's no difference in this room than the national average, except for maybe more than 76% of us would say I'm actually a Christian. Right? There's, no, there's no difference other than that. We're the same as the rest of the world. Right? Yes, yeah, so are, we, are we actually experiencing the life that Jesus has on offer? About 8, 8% would say, yes, I am. 8, 8%. There, there's no 
different? What is going on? How, how do we do this, right? I think what's happened is that faith, in, in, for the most part in America, faith has been kind of broken down and boiled down to just kind of this verbalizing of a belief, right? I verbally acknowledge that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of, the Son of God, and he has risen from the dead for the forgiveness of my sins. I can verbalize that, right? And, and I know that there is, we still live in a place where we know there's implications to that. Like I should probably go to church and I should probably make sure, make sure my kids go to church because I want them to be able to verbalize that as well. But faith, right, the author of Hebrews says, man, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? The conviction of things not seen, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things, where there's no conviction, right? Because conviction changes the way that we think and it changes the way that we act. Conviction changes our values, right? Martin Luther King, right, he, he preached that, that I have a dream speech. I have a dream, right? It, but it wasn't just a dream, was it? It was a conviction. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't just, man, I hope someday that this all gets resolved. I believe that all men are created equal, and I believe that, that, that my black brothers and sisters should have the same rights as my white brothers and sisters, and they should be treated the same. I believe that to be true, but it wasn't just an intellectual belief, was it? It was a conviction. It changed the way that he thought. It changed the way that he acted. It changed the way that he lived his life. He had a conviction that it was true. We've lost conviction. We just have kind of a verbalizing of belief. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. How you doing? Decent. Are you experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus has on offer? No. No, I'm not. I'm convinced that most of us gathered here this morning and online are not experiencing the very thing that we claim to believe. We believe that Jesus has life on offer. We believe that he has died and he has risen and that in him we die to our old self and we are risen to new life. This is what baptism symbolizes, what baptism marks us out. We de- death to the old life, risen to a new life. In that moment, we are marked and we are set apart and we are declaring, I am risen to new life in Christ. We would believe that's true. But we're not experiencing the very thing that we say that we believe. We're not living it out. We're so busy living that we never actually find life. The truth is, this is impacting the entire world around us. In every area, in every corner of the globe, this problem is impacting everything in the world. Um, Theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard said this, he said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs, so the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs, what are the heartbreaking needs of the world? We have children dying of hunger. We have people who don't have access to clean water. We, We have um, and wars and genocide um, and people who are being put into to camps in China. Like the horrible atrocities, nuclear pro- proliferation, we have abortion, we have all kinds of massive issues facing the world today. And Dallas Williams says the, the greatest one, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether or not those who identify as Christians will become disciples Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the kingdom of heavens into every corner of human existence. 
Dallas Willard said, is saying, the greatest issue facing our world today is whether or not the 76 will join the eight. Whether or not the 76% of people in the United States of America and really around the world who say, I'm a Christian, will actually become disciples of Jesus and actually begin to live out their faith. You see, what Dallas Willard realizes and what is absolutely true is if that happened, if that happened, all of the atrocities of the world would be over within a year or two, right? If that happened, hunger would be eradicated. Within months, within months, hunger, global hunger would be eradicated. The limited access to clean drinking water within a year would be, would be decimated. It would be over. It would be done. It would be over. Child sex trafficking would, be, would, be, would end. Violence would end. Like nuclear proliferation, I, I, mark my words, it would end. It would end. If everyone in the world who says, Man, I'm, a, I'm a follower, I'm a Christian, actually became a disciple of Jesus, actually began to be with Jesus, became like Jesus, and did the things that Jesus called them to do, if they lived in obedience, the world would be changed Forever. The primary reason we don't experience the flourishing that Jesus offers us is because though we say we are Christians, we're not really disciples of Jesus. And this is what the path of flourishing is all about. It's, it's, it's about walking this path that Jesus calls us to walk, this path of discipleship, while in that path experiencing the life that he actually wants us to experience that he has on offer for us, that he has made available to us. It's about walking the path that he wants us to walk and experiencing the life that he wants us to experience. That's what the path of flourishing is all about. We have been told that life is found in going to church or reading your Bible, being a good person, leading a small group, engaging in ministry. This is where life is found. You just got to do more things. That's not true. All of those things are good things. But none of them, not one of them, is the source of life, okay? I I, I don't want you to mishear me. I'm going to say this real clear. Going to church, serving the church, reading your Bible is not the source of life. Good things. None of them are the source of life. The life that Jesus calls us to experience is found in him and in him alone. John 1, 4, we read it earlier. In him was life. Life was the light of men. In him, he is the source of the life. He, he is the living water. He is the light of the world, right? He is the bread of life. He is the source of all life. Everything that we long for, all of the weariness and all the tiredness of our souls exist because we are not connected to Christ. Because we're not with him, we are not like him, and we are not doing the things that he calls us to do. For many of us in the room, because this is, this is the gathering of saints, many of us in the room, you've walked through seasons of life where you have actually experienced this. Where you have you've felt the fullness of walking with Jesus and becoming like Jesus. You've experienced that. It's amazing. But then you've also experienced the, the dryness of being far from him. You see, friends, this is, this is 
This must become for us, discipleship must become a lifestyle. It cannot be a diet. It cannot be the next fad. But this is what we do. This is, this is what we do in, in our Western culture. We are obsessed with like the next best thing, the, the, the next thing, the, the greatest thing, right? The newest thing, right? How, what's the newest way to kind of tap into Jesus, right? That's not, that is not what this is, and it cannot become what it is either. It must become a lifestyle, a lifelong journey. That's why it's the path of flourishing, right? Not like flourishing, right? It's, it's a path. We must walk it every day for the rest of our life. We must say, hey, I, want, I want to be near Jesus every day for the rest of my life. That is my goal. That is my aim. That is my desire. I want to be with him. I want to become like him. I want to be transformed every day from one degree of glory into another every day of my life into his likeness. I want to be obedient to him. I want to follow him. I want to do the things that he did and the things that he called his followers to do. I want to be faithful to him every day of my life. That is the greatest aim and the greatest calling of the rest of my days, of the rest of my life. And if I, if I live that out, if I actually walk this path at the end of my days, there will be significance and there will be meaning and there will be a purpose. This cannot be just a diet it can't be just like, summer's coming, i got to drop a few pounds. Because, friends, other things are going to come along, things that this world has to offer you. And if all this is a diet, you'll begin to eat things you shouldn't eat. Yesterday I had a peanut butter cheeseburger. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Okay? Yes, you, you, you heard me. Uh, peanut butter cheeseburger. Okay? Um, it's going to come for you, and it's going to ruin everything. You, you, you had it. You, you were dieting. You had everything going on. You were working out. You were exercising, and then, and then peanut butter cheeseburger, okay? It's going to happen. It's going to come. This cannot be something that we just do for a season to get in shape. I need to get my life together, and so therefore the path of flourishing. My marriage is a wreck, and so therefore the path of flourishing. I feel inadequate as a mom, so therefore the path of flourishing. I feel, I, I feel, I feel disconnected, so therefore the path. No, 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 stop. Your desire must be for the source. I need Jesus. Therefore the path of flourishing. Friends, Jesus died to give you life. He died on the cross, and he rose from the dead so that you might be with him, so that you might become like him by the power of the Holy Spirit, and so that, so that you might follow after him as his disciple. And so over the next few weeks, this is what we're going to do. We're going to roll this out say, what does this look like for us? How do we begin to put this into practice? What does it look like to become a practitioner, a student of Jesus, and to begin to model my life after the way of Jesus, and to follow him, to walk the path of flourishing? But friends, you must hunger and thirst for the source. The world is telling you the answers to your problems. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He is trying to convince you that the reason you don't have life is because you're inadequate. The reason you don't have life is because you're disconnected. The reason you don't have life is because you're anxious. That is not true. The source of life is not the freedom of it from anxiety. The source of life is not adequacy. The source of life is not connectedness. It's Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone is the source. 
We must, we must become a people who hunger and thirst for him more than we hunger and thirst for anything in this world. And so my hope is over the next few weeks, for those of you in the room who are partners, that you would take the next few weeks very seriously. So this is, where, this is the life of the church and this is the direction that we're going. The next few weeks is that we're, so we're going to be rolling out, okay? For those of you who are new, you say, but I don't really, I'm, I'm new to all this. I mean, I invite you to come and explore and to begin to walk this path with us, the path of flourishing, as we begin to link arms and to, to, to grow in a relationship with the source of all true human flourishing, Jesus. Let me pray for you guys. Father, we come before you. We praise you. You are so unbelievably good to us. You've sent your son to die in our place to remove the stain of our sin and the guilt and the shame that comes along with it. You have freed us. You have freed us. You've you've removed the veil that stood between us and you. There is no longer a division between us and you. We can draw near. Nothing can separate us. So I pray that you would help us to abide in Christ, become more like him, to begin to practice discipleship. So over the next few weeks, would you draw near to us? Would you show us? Would you teach us? Would you woo us and pursue us? Would you help us along the way as we give our lives to become more like you, more like your son? I pray these things in his name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.